want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. You know, my vibes are weirdly good. I don't know what's going on. Um, I did get to travel to New York City with um, with my family. We had a great time uh, just chilling, walking, and spending money on food. It was, it was really great. It is um, the greatest city in the world, made greater by the fact that we got to see uh, my guy, uh, Jose Vilson, of EduColor. We had a two dope breakfast with him. It was lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, so what's up? In case you have not caught on, you are on Habitually Disruptive. My name is Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. And yes, I know it's 2022, but I am still the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. And I always will be. If you're really interested in what we're doing here at Two Dope Media Productions, you can follow us at Two Dope Teachers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you really like what you're doing, what what you're doing, I hope you like what you're doing. I really do hope you like what you're doing because if you don't like what you're doing, you should probably do something else. Um, I hope that you, if you like what we are doing over here, we have three podcasts, Habitually Disruptive is one, there is the flagship podcast, the OG podcast, Two Dope Teachers and a Mic with me and Kevin Adams, and then there is the exit interview that is co-hosted by Asia Lyons and Kevin Adams. In fact, we have a, uh, we have an exit interview dropping this Wednesday um, with uh, Dr. William Anderson at the University of Denver, a little bit of a deviation from some of the narratives, um, but we hope it's encouraging to you. We hope it gets some conversation going in your circles. Um, but if you do like supporting Tudor Productions, podcasting is not free. Um, you can hit us up on patreon.com slash teachers. So it's April. Um, today's April 4th. I would be remiss if I did not commemorate the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., on this day in 1968. My friend Sean makes a really interesting point that we shouldn't celebrate Martin Luther King Day on the day that he was born. In Sean's opinion, we should celebrate it 
um, we should celebrate him on the day that he was murdered. And, uh, you know, Sean says a lot of things. I don't always ask him what he means, but I'm assuming what he means is that we can't tell the story of Dr. King without naming the fact that he was murdered for seeking the freedom of black people and poor people in America. And that is not an incidental part of his story. That is a real part of his story. A real person had his life taken for standing up for justice and demanding equality. So um, just carry yourself with the with the notion of standing up for justice and asking yourself what you're going to put on the line today um, for freedom and justice. So uh, it is a beautiful April day. It's sunny. It's nice. The spring vibes are out. That's probably why my vibes are so strong. Um, my vibes are also really strong because of this episode I'm about to bring you. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to preface this by telling you a little bit about the importance of Chicano education. Um, I was on a thread on, on Facebook with, uh, you know, school board director, uh, Sochi Gaitan, who, um, who represents Southwest Denver. And a conversation sort of started about the nature of Chicano education, what Chicano education has meant in Colorado and in the Southwest. And, you know, it really, um, it's amazing that I'd never really thought about this before, but Arturo Rodriguez, I think was his name, uh, had commented about the historical legacy of Chicano education. And, you know, it's stuck with me um, for over a week. And I've been really thinking about the importance of Chicano education and how little it's really been um, discussed in terms of, of the history of education and a lot of what we look at as our legacy. Um. I will say that I have long stated that I'm the first Chicano identifying Colorado State Teacher of the Year. This is not to say that I'm the first Latinx person. This is not to say that I'm the first Spanish surname person. This is not to say that I am the first Hispanic person who's been Teacher of the Year. There have been a few. Um, most recently, Christina Randall uh, down in Springs, and we have others as well. Um, Autumn Rivera, most recently, I should say, who is a national finalist as as, uh, as state teacher of the year. But in terms of Mexican American males who have been Colorado State Teacher of the Year, I do believe I'm the first one. Um, and I wear my chicanismo on my sleeve. Um, it's so important to me. And as I've thought about this whole idea of Chicano education, um, it occurred to me that Chicano history is why I went into teaching. It really is. When I was in my first year at the University of Colorado at Boulder, I enrolled in a Chicano literature class. And my dad had always told me I was a Chicano. Um, he had always used that term to refer to me. We never had a deep conversation about whether it just meant that I was an American-born Mexican, as a lot of Mexicanos think, or whether it was a political identity that he viewed as my inheritance. It's hard to say. Um, my dad is a person who is who does care about solidarity among the people. And so I can see where that idea would have been really, um, really encouraging for him. Um, so as a Chicano identifying kid, I always got frustrated, as especially as I got older and started to think a lot 
about my identity and how there just were so few spaces for somebody like me in my K through 12 education, ECE through 12 education. And um, I began to get really interested in this idea of Latin American literature. Like that's what I was into. I was like, I'm going to find my voice. I'm going to find Spanish surnamed people who, um, who wrote books and find some affinity with them. Um, I wasn't really successful in high school. As I recall, I wanted to do a, a project on magical realism in AP literature, and I was not, and I was actively discouraged from doing that. It's a whole other story. Um, and then I got to see you where I met Dr. Catherine Rios and tried to find her on social media. Like a lot of intellectuals, she's smart enough to stay off of social media. I don't actually even know if she's with us uh, today um, or if she's gone to be with the ancestors. But Dr. Rios really, really inspired me and helped me feel seen. We read books that were so beautiful and that so spoke to pieces of my experience, but also represented the diversity of experience. Because the thing is, spoiler, I don't know if people know this. I'm not a typical Chicano. Um, I didn't grow up around my own people um, until high school. I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood on the east side of Denver. And so there was always this curiosity, but I never really got connected. And in fact, I had some tensions with other um, Mexican-American kids in my neighborhood. And those are for another podcast another day. Um, so I got to learn about the myriad Chicanx identities that had expressed themselves through literature. So we read uh, The Moths by Elena Maria Viramontes. We read Canicula by Norma Elia Cantu, which I will argue is one of the most, if not the most underrated work of Chicanx literature that's out there. Just beautiful book that she wrote about photos. Um, we read Rain of Gold by no, no, not not Rain of Gold. That it, we that wasn't out yet. Maybe it was, but we didn't read it. Um, we read The Rain God by Arturo Islas, and it was the first time I got a glimpse of queer identities in the Chicanx community. And the books just really changed my life. You know, se lo trago la tierra by by Tomas Rivera. Um, you know, and they really changed my life because I got to see the books that that my people had had written. And then later on, I took a Chicana feminism class with Dr. Elisa Facio, the late, great Dr. Elisa Facio, who I daily hope is looking down at me um, from the realm of the ancestors. And I hope she's proud of me. I think I probably let her down in a few ways, especially um, as I near graduation. But Dr. Facio uh, changed my life, not just because she helped me get my rent paid for my last semester of college. I don't know if I would have graduated on time if it hadn't been for Dr. Facio getting me a TA position as an undergrad. But she also challenged me to think about things while still empowering me. Um, and that Chicana feminism class was so important. Um, reading Chicana feminist theory, the original writings, reading Gloria Ansaldúa, reading, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Emma Perez, who you know, you'll learn in this episode is still mentoring um, our people and still beautiful things. And I learned just to become way more aware of the diversity within our community and all of the voices that need to be heard. So fast forward um, to this episode. I'm so excited to bring you this episode. Over the last few years, I've noticed that more and more of our people 
are starting to adopt the term Chicano, Chicana, Chicanex. This is a big deal for me because I'm 23 years in this game. I think I talk about how long I've been teaching every time I come to you. I'm 23 years in this game and I'm running out of steam, y'all. I am straight running out of steam. And there are times when I'm just not sure how much more I can keep it up. Now, I'm not, I'm not overestimating my own importance here, right? Um, I know for a fact that I'm not the teacher now that I was 10 years ago. Uh, part of that is that I've gotten older and I don't have as much energy. Part of it is that there are other things um, that are more important to me than my job as a teacher, um, i.e. my family, um, my health, my vision for how I'm going to use this one life that I was given to live on this earth. But I saw something a while back. It may have been a social media post. It may have been in a magazine article. And I'm probably not even going to get the wording right. But essentially, it said that Chicano is an outdated identity. That Chicano only survives in the hands of veteranos who see each other and talk about the old days and, and give each other Chicano handshakes and all that other kind of stuff. Essentially, um, what was being argued in this piece was that Chicanismo, at best, was moribund and, and irrelevant, and at worst, was dead. And that made me kind of sad, made me feel really discouraged until we started interviewing people for jobs at my building. Now, I've known that folks were out there. And what has become so exciting to me is seeing how many of the younger generation, Zoomers and millennials, baby, are finding solace in this identity, finding purpose in this identity. And it's just a beautiful thing. So this episode was supposed to come up during Women's History Month, but you know what? There's not a bad month for Chicanisma. We're going to do this. Um, I have three dynamite Chicana educators, Emily Contreras, Diana Bustamante Aguilar, and spoiler, my former student, Isabel Barajas Benavides. These are three women in their 20s and 30s who live life as Chicanas, as Chicana educators. And I'll tell you, you walk into their classrooms and you see the Chicanisma is just everywhere. You can breathe it. You can feel it. You can, you can, it's so, it's so palpable that that's a different space. And there are so many things that I want to comment about this, but at the end of the day, our community owes so much to our Chicana sisters and mothers and tias and amigas and, you know, comadres, because they've really kept the candle burning for our community, where a lot of us fellas, we just aren't as strong as, as we need to be in the maintenance of our community. So I invited Isa, Diana, and Emily to come on the show and talk about their path to discovering their Chicanisma and talk about what it means to be a Chicana educator and what 
drives them every single day. So I'm just so excited to bring you this episode of Habitually Disruptive, Chicanisma for the New Millennium. Hey, what's good, everybody? It is me, Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. They tell me I will always be the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, and I'm going to keep that on my resume. Doesn't even matter. Um, Welcome to our Chicana Roundtable. This is something that really came together in my head over the last few days as I've been in community with these incredible Chicana educators in Denver Public Schools. And um, they all have agreed to be on this. They are all, I think, meeting for the first time, which is super exciting. Yep, they're all nodding. They're meeting for the first time and it's gonna be super cool. So we're gonna go around really quick and just do some quick introductions. We'll do this like we do it in my class, Nose Goes. All right, you, Isa, will go first. <laughs> um, hello, I am Isabel Maria Barajas de Benavides. I go by Isa. Um, I am from the north side of Denver. I identify as an indigenous woman from the Chicana Chicano Nation. Um, I'm still kind of new to teaching. This is my third year in the classroom. Um, right now I'm currently teaching in the east side at Manuel High School. Um, I believe yeah. that's the Manuel High School. The Manuel High the School. Manual High School. Old, some Alma of the alumni of Denver, Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez, Emmanuel Martinez. The list goes on and on. Your mom, me. My mom, you, Mayor Webb. Yeah. Everyone. <laughs> everyone. All right. Thank you, Isa. And I think the and I think you were next. Emily was quick with it. <laughs> she was. She was on top of it. Uh, I'm Diana Bustamante Aguilar. I am in a few places. That question has always been a little like a lot for me. So I was born in El Paso, Texas. I grew up in Colorado Springs, and prior to Colorado Springs, my family had lived in Durango, Mexico. So we moved from Durango, Mexico. Uh, my mom had me in El Paso because my grandparents used to have a house in Juarez, so just kind of like all over the place. And then after um, I graduated from high school, I went to CU Boulder. From CU Boulder, I decided I wanted to try teaching in Denver, and I really felt passionate about working with students who look like me. Um, and so. Right now I'm currently teaching at Denver South High School. I teach uh, social studies. I'm teaching US history, geography, and Chicana Chicano studies. So a little bit of everything. All those at once? All at once. Mm -hmm. I have three preps, which is, (laughs) yeah. But thankfully I co-plan, so. That's good. My preps. I'm just gonna pour out some Ibarra for your uh, first levels. (laughs) Um, for real. All right. Thank you, Diana. Hola, everyone. I'm Emily Contreras. I was born in California, actually, but I was raised here in Colorado, um, in Commerce City specifically. So I went to the Adams 14 district growing up, but I'm always like California still home no matter what. And um, yeah, so I major in Latino studies. This is like, and I took a break because I didn't want to be a remote teacher. And then um, I have a friend named Tim Hernandez and he told me everything about this beautiful community at North High School. And I decided, yeah, I'm gonna try it out. And it was, it's amazing. It's a beautiful community. I love the North side. It's just so much comunidad in just one place. But yeah, that's where I'm from. I'm teaching Latino studies and then I'm also teaching geography. 
I don't know how I would do with three preps. The two already is already a lot sometimes for me, but yeah. yeah. Wait, wait till you get close to 51 is going to feel like a lot. It's like, man, I got to do this more. Like, well, I appreciate you all for being here and um, just uh, entering the space. I think it's, it's, it's really amazing. Um, Mainly because, so I started teaching um, in the late 20th century Um, in 1999, that's when I got my first teaching job. And when I came into the work, I always identified as a Chicano, um, mostly because my dad told me I was a Chicano. I did, there wasn't any other like context to it. I didn't grow up around my own people, but it was the first, um, sort of identifier that I had. Um, and when I came into teaching, there just weren't a lot of people identifying openly as being, uh, Chicanas or Chicanos. In fact, my first co-teacher, um, was like named after Cesar Chavez and didn't use the, uh, the Chicano identifier for himself. And so it was just really interesting in light of the history that I, I studied at CU Boulder and um, the tradition there to see so little. What's so striking to me um, as, as like a borderline veterano Chicano educator is seeing your generation of educators coming in wearing the label proudly carrying it proudly declaring it proudly um would love for each of you to talk a little bit about how you came to identify as a chicana and why that why you embrace that that name for yourself um, especially considering you all have pretty different backgrounds you've come from different spaces lived in different spaces so uh want to hear about that tell me about your your chicanidad I can go first. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, so I didn't learn about my history until I got to the to UNC. That's where I went to college. And that really felt like very heartbreaking. It's something why I went to why I majored in Latino studies and why I decided to go the route that I decided on. Because I was like, how how am I not learning about this until college? Like what an injustice. And then I was hearing it from everyone. And I was able to learn from Dr. Priscilla Falcon. She's this amazing Chicana who was very involved with the movement here, especially in Boulder. And she was the one that like really taught me what that word meant and what Chicana was for women as well, like what that meant for women. And like, to me, it's always been a political term because I'm Mexican and Salvadorian. And most often like Chicana is taught like it's for Mexican Americans. I've always taken it as more of a political term. It's like for Latinos to fight, whoever are fighting for educational, economic, or even like political rights. And like, that's what I've taken it for myself. I always tell all my students this whenever they meet me, I'm like, I'm a Chicana because it's my political term. It's who I represent for who I'm fighting for what I do but like that's really what I've come to terms with that term is that it's also like a part of my history like that's why I use that term I know that there is some problematic things even going back from what Chicano means and what it represented and what it can represent but I also have taken it more like it's just that political term and how I navigate life and like how I navigate my classroom. Like even like in my classroom, I have like Chicana equals poder. And I make sure that I put the A because I feel like in the Chicano movement, we often overlook our women. Mm. And I think that's a really important part of our history when we think about Chicano and like what they did and everything. 
Yeah, no, thank you for that. And I, and I will um, ask a few questions just kind of around your specific practice, because I know that I've, I've seen each of you teach in some capacity and it, and it is different. It maybe doesn't feel different to you, um, but it's different. So, um, so yeah, so, so thank you for that. So uh, Diana, Denisa. Yeah, um, I think I, growing up, um, my parents are Mexican immigrants and um, I'm the fourth of five children. My three older siblings all spent a lot more time in Durango than I did. Um, so when I came to the United States, I was really young. Um, and so I always, because they identified as Mexican and that was really like the only identifier that we had, um, that's what I grew up with. And I mean, most of the classmates that I had K through 12 were all very similar to me or mm. from other immigrant families. Yeah. And so I always felt Mexican, but I also, because my older siblings were in Mexico a lot longer than I felt like I was never like Mexican enough. But I think that feeling pushed me to want to be Mexican, to deny like any association with a Chicana or Chicano. And it really was like this dirty word. Like when we talk about it being derogatory, that really yeah. is how I viewed it growing up. I viewed it as like this washed, whitewashed Mexican, right? Who doesn't speak Spanish yeah. because I like I connected speaking Spanish to being like brown. That really yeah. is what I was doing in my mind, right? Yeah. And so then when I graduated high school, I, identif I identified as Mexican. I started going to CU Boulder. Um, and as a first generation Mexicana, right? I was like, nobody looks like me. Yeah. What? Like I'm not making friends in my dorm or like the friendships, friendships that I'm making are like not really like deep connections. I felt yeah. like I was kind of like, up, like people were pitting me. That's like, that's how I felt, right? Yeah, like yeah. people were just talking to me because I was there. Yeah. And so it was really difficult for me my first year of college at a predominantly white institution. After that first year, I was like, I'm going to go back home. Like I was going home every weekend already. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the Chiripa, I decided like, I'm going to apply to be an RA. And if I become an RA, I'm going to like get to live here for free. Like I don't have to worry about rent yeah. or whatever. So we'll see what happens. So I did end up getting the RA position and I returned the next year for my sophomore year. And one of the other people who was an RA on like my staff was this like amazing Chicana who was going into her senior year, um, Jasmine Torres. And she was who really connected me to Uma Simecha on campus. And I had seen Uma Simecha on campus when I was a freshman, but I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, no, I'm not Chicana. Like I'm not yeah, going to go yeah. join this group. And so because of her, I started to go, to Umasimecha and like these understandings that I had around socioeconomic um, like access to wealth and like statuses and immigration status, all of those really started to click around my own identity and really mm -hmm. like starting to reflect and interrogate why I didn't want to call myself Chicana. And I was really fortunate to be able to pair some of my like history requirement classes for my my history major with ethnic studies classes, not too many, which also is like an issue, but I was able to take yeah. some ethnic studies classes with um, Dr. Arturo Aldama and really like the most significant class that I took was with Dr. Emma Perez. Yeah. 
and I took Chicana feminism. The, the Emma Perez. The, the Emma, Emma Perez. Yeah. <laughs> in that class, I was like, wow, like I am Chicana. And I had already started to call myself Chicana after going to Masimecha and going to like national conferences. But that's where we did a lot of writing and a lot of self-reflection using Chicana feminist theory. And that's where I really understood, right? Like my positionality within a settler colonial system mm. that like forced my family to move where I like had become Americanized in many ways through forced assimilation, like all K through 12, my school classmates, my teachers would call me Diana. And so my name was like, my name was like this major shift of like through my name and through how I felt and who like how I looked, I was able to really reclaim the term Chicana as like Emily said, a political term, but also as this term that I give significance to and that I claim as my own and how I want to be represented by it and how I want to represent yeah. it. And through, so through like my classes, my ethnic studies classes, my interactions with my peers, uh, with my family, and then like my involvement in groups like Umasimecha and our summer program Maketsa, I really did a lot of that like internal reflection and interrogation into understanding like what it means to be a part of this larger movimiento. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's like, it was really pivotal for me. Yeah, I mean, and this is what's so great is is that it you all have different paths into this, and in a minute we're going to hear a really different path from from Isa. Um, there's so many, and Diana, we've talked about this before. Like, there are so many things that you experienced as a CU student that I also experienced when I was there in the early '90s, and that just speaks really volumes about what our struggle has kind of been in higher education. Um, for me, I had the the same name moment where I used to go by Jerry when I was in school, like, and people still laugh at it. And, and I've, I've like, you know, at the time that like Esau was my student, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let anybody even know that I ever went by that name. Like, like that was how you told me that you wanted to fight me was by calling me that name. And now I kind of, now I, I accept for the same reasons that you were in this assimilationist uh, settler colonial uh, system, I accept that that's what I did to kind of survive. And then it was, I'll never forget, it was Dr. Bruce Bassoff, um, this aging, uh, you know, old Jewish guy from the Bronx, you know, handing me a paperback, because, you know, you always had to put your actual name on the paper, not a nickname. And I remember him telling me, you know, with a name like Gerardo, you should never go by Jerry. And he said, Jerry, with such disdain, that I was kind of like, man, this old Jewish dude is right. <laughs> like, and, and that's such a pivotal moment, like taking that name, you know, it's, it's huge. Um, let's, uh, let's hear Isa's story. Cause Isa, your story is totally different. Um, and we were talking about it before, you know, we, we went live, talk a little bit about you and the Chicana identity. So I was actually born Chicana. Uh, my mother is Chicana, my dad is Chicana, or Chicano, my sister is Chicana as well. Uh, my mother is an activist um, here in Denver. So I really grew up in the Chicana Chicano movement and American Indian movement here in Denver. Um, also, my sister 
grew up at the Teatro Azul Teatro, as did I. Um, my sister's dad um, is the artistic director over there, Tony Garcia. So I very much grew up like right in the movement as well as within teatro. Um, and it is a core piece of my identity. But with that being said, growing up when I was younger, I just knew that we were Chicanos and that somehow, some way there was this political nature. I mean, we were going up, going to demonstrations our whole lives. There was this history tied to it. Um, but I didn't understand that it was something that you chose to call yourself until I was about in middle school. Um, I remember being on the bus and I'm DPS grad. I went through DPS my whole life. And I remember being on the bus and talking with some of my peers on our way to the North side and saying, well, we're all Chicanos, we're Mexicans, we're in the United States, we're all Chicanos. And one student said, I ain't a dirty pig, Chicanos are dirty pigs. And I yeah. still, I couldn't believe it, I'll never forget that moment. And just like learning to begin, that was the beginning of seeing this division, especially yeah. within our Denver community of uh, like Chicanos, Mexicanos. Um, and that was something that like, I really experienced through high school as well. Um, and really almost felt like I was constantly fighting um, for my Chicanidad. And also the fact that even though we identified as Chicanos, we also understood ourselves as Mexican um, and holding on to both of those pieces of my identity. Um, you know, my mom's family comes from Northern New Mexico, from Hickory Apache territories. And my dad's family comes from throughout Mexico, but came during the revolution. Um, and settled in Southern Colorado in the mines. And so being in high school, it was really difficult to understand that as a Chicana, I set myself aside from all the other brown folks that were present there. And a lot of folks didn't understand why I didn't speak Spanish well. They didn't understand how I grew up with it as my first language, went to school and lost it, and why we didn't speak it and how there was this real division really because of this language and not recognizing or understanding. It's mostly not understanding and lack of education to the fact that there wasn't a continuous influx of Spanish-speaking immigrants in the Denver area until around the 1970s. Um, and so that, I think, in high school was a really big point for me and a big shift for me in just like everything I did was Chicana. It didn't matter where I was or what I was wearing, anything and everything. I just really wanted to highlight the fact that I was Chicana and I was Mexican. Um, from there, I went to college and I went to multiple schools. <laughs> I started a small liberal arts school in Chicago and I, um, I was the only Chicana that was there. Most folks did not even hear of the term Chicano or Chicana. And I didn't really vibe with a lot of the Mexican folks out there either. Um, just because, I mean, it was a predominantly white institution, um, a small liberal arts school. And there was a major idea of like this assimilationist in order to survive and in order to thrive within this country. And so, I kicked it with the Black folks and those are all like my best friends um, still to this day, even in that year. Um, from there, I went to CSU Pueblo and that was a really major shift for me in understanding the honor that came and like the privilege that came with being born as a Chicana and being born into the movement. Um, there, I minored in Chicana Chicano studies, but that's when I really got involved in Mecha and 
I ended up actually becoming an NMCC um, and regional rep for us for Kapuli. And it was different. It was like I was fighting again with like Mexicano identifying students. It was like this whole progression of my experience of like there is this line between us. And it was really hard to be able to find a way to kind of break down those barriers in order to have us come together, you know, as one people. Um, because when I got there, it was, Mecha was really like a party organization. It didn't have this political commitment. Um, the Mechisas there would really just do like one service thing a year. Um, they would go rake up Pueblo. It was this big thing in Pueblo. And then they would have um, a dance in the spring. And I was like, well, it doesn't work that way. This is Mecha. Like, <laughs> that's not the point. Um, at one point, are we beginning to occupy space when we don't continue to hold that political nature right. of our um, of our organization? And so yeah. with that, I really was embraced by my auntie Rita, um, Rita Martinez. Um, she passed in the, sorry, she passed in the fall of 2020 from COVID. Um, and they all brought me in. I mean, they all know, knew my mother and they knew my family. So it was a little bit different. Um, but I really was brought in by all of the elders in Pueblo. And it was my first time kind of creating this own Chicano community for myself. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I had was there with Rita, with um, Umas Veteranos from Debra Espinosa, Juan Espinosa, um, Eddie Montor, all of these folks that really brought us together and like organizing in Rita's house, having chicken tacos on white, which is a very Pueblo thing. Um, <laughs> no technology, just like very old school, very traditional to yeah. the movement um, and holding it down that way. I mean, being with Rita was just some of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And I have so much gratitude towards her for her. Um, and from there, I came to Denver, I came home, and I finished my degree over at Metro in Chicano, Chicano Studies. And that's where I really realized that it was hard for me to take Chicano, Chicano Studies classes, because I wasn't your regular student. I wasn't your student that was coming into this political identity for the first time, that was learning this history for the first time. I knew it. And not only did I knew, know it, I lived it, I experienced it. That was my whole reality. So being in classes, professors really had to dot their T's or cross their T's and dot their I's with me because I was very upfront of the fact that they had a responsibility to teach our history of our community, our Denver history, you know, especially when it comes to the movement here. Unfortunately, that's something that's not so documented just because of all of the tensions within our community. Yeah. Um, and I did a lot of independent study and I really focused on being able to learn what I felt I needed to learn. Um, this was at the time where I actually joined the Lanza. Um, I started dancing with Grupo Tlaloc um, and it was really important for me to show and highlight that connection between AIM and um, the Chicano movement here and how, you know, the Lakota peoples brought us back to our spirituality and to our traditional ways. And that's where I really focused my research on um, and doing something that wasn't presented to me within academia, but within my life. And at that point, I was organizing very heavily with the American Indian movement. Um, 
we brought back me and my sisters um we asked our elders to bring back the four directions march um and that was just a really significant point of my life um when it came to learning to balance being within academia being within the movement and being within you know as an indigenous woman with our spirituality and carrying those ways and understanding that that's really one of the greatest acts of resistance um but I feel that when it comes to my Chicanidad, like it just continues to evolve, it continues to grow, but no matter what, it carries the foundation um, that was gifted to me. Yeah, this is, this is like, I couldn't have, I couldn't have brought together a better group um, because you all have had different paths and has led you to the same place. And, you know, I, I want to, I don't want to undersell kind of what you all have shared, like you know, identifying as a Chicana or a Chicano, like that, that's not like the in-style thing. That's not like the big trend right now, right? It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of resilience. It takes a lot of healing to enter the space and to declare yourself as such, especially as Chicanas. Like I'm really aware of my positionality as a, as a dude um, in, in this movement and, you know, how that kind of exists. And so, you know, just stepping into your identity is so powerful. Um, I've had an opportunity to see all of you teach, which is like so cool and such, such an amazing light. It's just so inspirational just to see what you all are doing um, and how amazing and how rooted it is. Um, I want y'all to share a little bit about how, kind of like how you show up in your classroom that sort of sends a message that is intentional for your students. Like the way that it can be a practice that you have in class, um, some way that you just show up, some way that you communicate. And I want to start with you, Emily, um, because I was able to actually see you teach twice, um, once for high schoolers and once for middle schoolers. And it was really cool. So will you talk a little bit about like, what, what's, what's a thing that you kind of bring in to really communicate that you, you are a Chicana teacher and that's what your practice is rooted in? Yeah. So, I, I got I got the chance to teach Latino studies this semester and like my main goal for all of it and I had numerous conversations with numerous people that I'm like I want women at the forefront I feel like especially when we teach about the Chicano movement we teach about the four horsemen and like really go deep in it which is amazing but I don't think we do enough justice for the Chicana women that did for our movement. So my lens is Las Adelitas so revolutionary wearing women from um for Mexico and like that's what we do every single unit so like we did indigeneity that was our um Adelita was La Malinche and everything really dissecting what that meant because people see her as a hero people see her as a traitor people see her in different views and like it's like different ones throughout the units and like I'm reminding our students like this is our lens this is what we're going for and like we're finishing off with like Dr. Priscilla Falcone, I'm like an amazing Chicana that people don't often acknowledge or like often give her what she um, often give her like what all the work she has done for the community here in Colorado. And yeah, like I think I present myself every day I come in like my most Chicana self and my most radical self. And we're like, I have blue hair right now because I let my students vote for that. I let them 
take that in account and like they vote on it every month or that's a lot of trust too like (laughs) if 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 i if i gave my students voice like on my hair like i there's no telling what would happen and yeah so that's a lot of trust courage i just told them no neon colors or anything like that but like it's also for me like to connect with them and it's been a really great thing i am also over feminine because i feel like oftentimes of Latina women, we're not looked down as the most feminine people, mm. which is why I wear like the bows, the crazy frilly dresses <laughs> and everything. Like right now I'm wearing a Loteria shirt because, yep. <laughs> because our midterm is them creating a Loteria card and everything over land rights and creating a symbol. I want that expression of what Chicana means to me in my own way. My room is completely pink, like everything. I have a setup that's pink. The Chicana <laughs> equals poder is pink. But I think it's just my own way of like how, what Chicana represents to me. And like, I've taken into that and like, yeah, thank you. But like, I really taking into account of how I navigate spaces and how I do those spaces and what I do with those spaces, right? And I feel like, yeah, that's what I like creating this curriculum. Like I saw the DPS curriculum, I'm like, this is amazing let me amplify it to what it means to me and to what it really what represents for me right and I'm like and that is like women Chicanas that are often left out and everything and yeah I think that's just the really lens that I've been taking that's been working so well with me and my students and we have our discussions like comunidad and where we talk every Friday and like it's usually women-led like usually my female students lead those conversations because they feel comfortable they feel like represented in the classroom and where it's easy for them they come in we play Loteria while doing our discussion and they're like yeah time to talk like time to show what I have to say that even like right now they're representing their voices for what it means to them and I'm so proud from everything that they've been doing Yeah. yeah I think that's how I navigate my classroom making sure that I'm my most Chicana self yeah and can confirm have seen this um from the masks with the with the patterns with the flores and all that kind of stuff like yeah. all, all of that yeah like hello and everything yes yeah no it just it reminds me a lot of being in the space at CU Boulder and I was able to take a bunch of classes with um with the late great uh Dr. Lisa Facio who without Dr. Fascio, I don't think that I would have made it through undergrad. Um, she knew that I was starving. She knew that I didn't have enough food and that paying rent was, um, was a month to month struggle. And, um, and so she hooked me up with, a with a greater position as a senior, like, I, I don't remember grading anything. Like <laughs> She didn't have me do anything, but what it did is it, is it paid my rent. And, um, and I was allowed to, spend that last semester really learning and like doing what I had wished I'd been able to spend the previous three and a half years of college doing. And so I love that idea of the Adelitas. That's always been one of my favorite symbols that that people have kind of brought in. Uh, Diana, how about you? You show up. I know you show up. <laughs> yeah, I try to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was thinking just about all the educators and all the folks I think who have really influenced me and my pedagogy and how I show up and how I present myself at school. Um, I was thinking about my time in Umasimecha and getting to work in Aquetza with Hassan Romero and Ceci Valenzuela and uh, working with like other wonderful Chicanas, Chicanos, Chicanex folks 
who really have like impacted me. And I think one of the, um, like uh, in addition to Ekit, so one of the situations where I think I really saw like such different like classroom dynamic that reminded me of home was when I was doing my practicum, like before I even was a student teacher it, at Casey Middle School in Boulder, like Boulder being such a like white space in general, but has such a like such a big Mexican population and Chicano population, right? And so I went into the middle school and I was paired with this wonderful teacher um, who is a veteran teacher named Carmen Marquez, who had also done work and I would later find out had done work with um, the Boulder County Latino History Project. And right now I'm doing work. Yeah, it's big. The Latino History Project, which is just encompassing the rest of the state of Colorado. Yeah. In um, her classroom, it felt like I was at home, like she was like treating the students like like they were her kids, right? Mm. And like, like I don't know, like you know when you're home and your mom is just like, oh my god, like ay Diana, ¿qué estás haciendo? Like, <laughs> like that, you know, like that tone. And she would use it with students, and I was like, that, like that's who I am too. Like not exactly her, but like yeah. I can show up as these elements of myself that like other like white educators don't like are not right like it would be not it wouldn't be genuine if they did that and I think for me like I just show up as who I am yeah. like who I am with my friends is who I am like I don't change who I am yeah like obviously like boundaries right um but <laughs> sure. I think being open like that with students and like showing like these elements of my personality and like sharing parts of like why I go by Diana and not Diana or like where my parents are from and like the experiences that I've had with assimilation like those things for me are the most important like I really don't care about dressing perfect like I wear jeans like every day and bands yeah. every day and you and got your weepil you, you you got your weepil oh yeah and then i have my my like clothing too like my mexican mm -hmm. clothing right with like embroidered clothing that i wear sometimes or like just like clothing that i think represents me and feels authentic to me yeah and i think this year especially after like being online mm -hmm. for like so many of them for a year year and a half I think a lot of our Chicana and Chicano, Chicanx students and Mexicano students are really like that. I think that's what they were craving, like having that connection at school. Yeah. And so I think this year in particular, like I share, I think I've shared a lot more of like my teaching philosophy and like that being grounded in revolutionary love and being yeah. grounded in self-reflection and like really like looking within oneself and I think we, we talked about this last year when we were both doing student board, like really looking through um, the Nawi Olin as like this guide of like looking within oneself and like taking action and putting that into effect. And I think that's something that I really tried to, to show my students that I go through and being vulnerable with them and like this like journey that I'm on in continuing to like shed these elements of myself that I've taken on from society, right? And like being open with them too of like things that I'm not perfect yeah. around. Like I don't know everything about everything yeah. and that's okay. Like I think being an active learner with them, I think is something that I've also learned 
uh, like in this journey of being Chicana and really like looking within my own identity and the history of my family and like elements that I like things of our history, our family history that I'm never going to know because of colonization. Yeah. And so I think like all of these things show up in my classroom and how I interact with them and like how comfortable I am with them and how comfortable they are with me. But yeah. knowing that like, hey, like I still need you to do the work. Yeah. Like don't come around messing, like don't mess around. Yeah. Like still being like this, I think this authentic self that holds them accountable, just mm-hmm. like I think Tia would, right? Yeah. Or your like older sister would. Yeah. And I think that for me is, what I've always enjoyed the most about like these older Chicanos who I've been able to connect with and I've been able to learn from. Yeah. It's there's, there are a couple of things that really stand out there. First of all, just kind of like the fact that each of you shows up as your authentic self, I think is like, I, I hope you know how big that is for somebody like me to see and to witness because there was always this whiteness of professionalism when I, when I started teaching in it. And I think the furthest I would go was in the springtime, I would wear some guayaberas and I'd kind of keep it like, okay, I can do that. I can push it like that. still sort of recognizable. And then there's what's happened now is that your generation of teachers has sort of presented yourselves as texts to be read and to, un- to be understood by your students. And when they see how you carry yourself, when they see how you present yourself, it communicates with them. It's such a powerful thing. And, you know, the fact that you all just do this unapologetically, it's, it's already an improvement on what we did as a generation. Like we spent a lot of time hiding, you know, and maybe there were reasons to do that. But also when I reflect back and when I watch all of you, doing what you do in learning spaces, there's a big voice in my head saying, man, you could have done that. Like, why, why didn't you do that? Like, it would have been so powerful and all that kind of stuff. But I think that, I, I think that it's such a big deal that, that you all are doing that. It's so amazing. Um, Isa, how about you? How do you show up? I mean, I've, I've seen all of you show up a little bit, but um, your learning space is one that I haven't actually been in. And so I'm kind of curious about that, but also just in answering the question, like, what is it that, that you bring and how you show up as a Chicana teacher? Um, honestly, a lot of it comes from Mio Munoz. Um, for me, I mean, I kind of spoke about how I did feel this separation between my peers um, within high school and Munoz was like the only other Chicano there. And I remember walking into his classroom and being handed a Loteria card. Um, and it was the most exciting thing ever. I think I even like spilled a bottle of water because I was so excited <laughs> to be did. able to like be. That's how I used to assign seats. I'm like, find your Loteria card. <laughs> yeah. And I actually do that in my classroom. At the top. Like my first day, like that's what I always do. Um, just because it's so significant. But with that being said, I have a lot of art in my classroom, and that is really important to me um, to really show the students who I am and where I come from, and hopefully for them to see themselves in it. Um, One of my favorite pieces is from an artist out of LA named Pochtitla, and it's an image of a mujer that says, stop calling me Hispanic with tears coming from her eyes. Um, And that is a really big piece for me because one, it really gets the students thinking and 
when other teachers or folks come into my space, it really kind of takes them a step back to really be like, oh, okay, this is the type of classroom we're in. Um, and it's really letting them know like what it is. Um, on top of that, I have a lot of political posters. Um, I have one from my Auntie Rita that I mentioned before, honoring her. I have a Black Virgen um, saying um, brown people for Black power. Um, I have lowriders. I have cars that are hopping. Um, I also try to show like very Denver pieces. I have a lot of Sutiatro posters um, because I want our, my kids and I want folks that come in to understand like I am them that this is my community, this is where I'm from, and I'm proud to come from this community, um, no matter how much they try to erase those pieces. Um, the music is also a really big piece for me to ensure that it's our music, um, a lot of hip hop, and very much so political. I think that's a really big piece for me in my classroom. Um, Right now I'm doing random seating. So I actually have a set of cards. We have a Black Panther party table, the Chicano oh, movement, um, the women of color table, the American Indian movement table, the Malcolm X table and the UFW table. And so like every kid gets a card as they come in, there's a different image on each card and they go and sit at those tables. Um, and that's a really significant piece for me because yeah. I made sure that we have pictures from, yes, throughout the country, but also I try my best to have this Denver focus. Like I'm very, very proud. I can say it a million times over again and still say it um, to come from Denver. Um, but with that, I really try to keep it real with kids. Um, I guess I'm like an auntie too, but I <laughs> I grew, I grew up with a mom that was super loving and super everything, but she didn't have that cariño. Like I lean on her and she ah, she's tough. Her and pushed tough. me off, like didn't yep. do that. Um, <laughs> and the kids know that with me too, um, is that we're here to be our best selves. We're here to do work at the end of the day. And we're also here to share our experiences. Um, and that's a really big piece for me within my classroom. Um, I feel really grateful to be able to build my own curriculum um, and to ensure that it's filled with stories from throughout the country, being able to find um, solidarity and thorough lines within our organizing strategies, as well as ensuring that there's like that Denver history within the classroom, that kids are aware, that kids are representing those things. Um, I would say my big thing is like to honor your ancestors. You know, our ancestors didn't go through all of this for us to just kind of throw things to the side. Um, and it's important that we come in ready to honor them and to honor ourselves, um, all of us within that learning space. Um, I even like, I was doing my lesson today and I was like, oh, I accidentally called these kids foods, but I didn't really accidentally call them. I just very Denver. Um, and that's what we do. I mean, that's their so, pronouns, right? That's their pronouns, foo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I think that is the biggest piece is just coming yeah. in really as my authentic self yeah. um, and letting them know it's all love at the end of the day and that we're here to do work. Yeah, and those those subtleties I think are are so powerful that just the very small things that that can be like like you talk about we we talk about how there's microaggressions right there's also micro healing right these little things that you may never talk about in class on any like protracted way but it 
but it provides safety and affirmation to kids. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting too, because um, during your lesson today, it was really interesting because there was, um, you were trying to hear from one student and there was kind of a side conversation going on. I remember what you said, which was that um, it's, it's really important that we be a community and we honor everybody's voices. And that's just like, such an important way to frame it, especially in community, um, as opposed to saying, hey, don't talk when someone else is talking. It's more about if we're going to be a community, we have to honor each other's voices. And I think that's just another it's not small, but it's something that somebody might miss um, as as a as a practice of cultural healing and maintenance. So um, so I definitely can can see that 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 kind of firmness, the the love of high expectations, but also we're going to honor this community and honor every voice in it. Um, that makes me happy. Um, all right, so um, we're going to have a couple of fun questions. One is going to be quick, and one is going to be a little bit longer. Um, most Chicana thing about you. It's a tough one. I think that's how Denver I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Denver really vibes. Do. Um, the kids are like, Miss, you're not even that Denver. And I always let them know I'm more Denver than all of y'all put together. <laughs> um, and I just, I really say that like there's a story in every single one of our neighborhoods. Um, my Chicanidad is just so rooted in our community and our elders in all of those different pieces. Um, I'm from the North side, but I'm an honorary West sider. Um, grew up going to the parish, spent all of my summers at the West, in the West side. Um, I earned my feathers in the West side and my high school years like, running around West side streets. Um, not always doing what I was supposed to be doing, but definitely very much so understanding the true histories of these streets um, and being very appreciative of them. I always call Manuel's mural at Valma Park, my first classroom. Um, I started in the parks and that's a really significant piece for me is that whenever there's like a Denver story, then I know it. My boyfriend always makes fun of me because every time we go somewhere, I'm somehow related to them or they're related to my cousin or <laughs> there's some type of connection there um, with the old heads, the younger ones, like whatever it is, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Diana, Emily, most Chicana thing about you? Um, I think it's my Cali self. I think it's my, it's like, no matter what, I'm always going to be that Cali girl. Yeah. <laughs> I think that shows up in like how I present myself, how I'm like over the top, I'm in your face, like I'm <laughs> over expressive. And I think that goes with my crazy hair and my crazy outfits. Like, <laughs> I think like that's what rep that's what Cali represents to me it's like being that over the top really like not caring about what everybody else thinks and that's why I'm like this is how I know I am from California even if I was raised here in Colorado I'm like I'm crazy the way I dress I'm like people don't dress like that here that's right and I would also say that having seen you teach the your Spanglish is is very like there people don't understand there's different dialects of Spanglish like it's not all the same like you know, Spanglish from a Mexicano in, in Chicago is going to be really different than, you know, someone from LA and that kind of thing. So, and I remember I was, I remember watching you teach and saying, that's Cali right there. Like that's, that's a, that's that Cali Spanglish. It's just different. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, 
no yeah and like then if i can't <laughs> no, yeah. get so confused and i'm like sorry it's a cali thing yep, no yeah is uh, is definitely um diana how about you diana i feel like you're struggling with this one because it's just I, like... am. <laughs> I actually am i i want i'm gonna say two things i can't okay oh that's about. fine okay so i think like honestly i think the, the way i look i think my hair especially because i have such like straight dark hair i think for me like i find a lot of strength in it and on it and i honestly try not to like like i think sometimes i get too attached to like my hair and like in like my appearance wise but i think in terms of like it is it like i think for me is is a way that i can really like connect to my indigenous like ancestry and roots and like identity i think for me like I, I don't think I'll ever really be able to trace back like like yeah. the after like colonization like who like my indigenous ancestors are and like what their story is and that I think is really difficult and I think a lot of us yeah. who are like from countries that have been colonized and and have this like history of colonization that's like something we have to reckon with within ourselves um so I think my hair is like this is it a lot of gives me a lot of strength um but then I also think my character, honestly, like I like since I was little, like me gustaba pelear. Like I would get into fights with my brothers. I could not be wrong. Like I just, I feel like I have a really strong character, and like within my family, it like they all know this, right? Like, oh, like okay, Diana, if you're gonna travel with this person, you need to not like you need to be more patient or whatever and not to say that I'm not patient but like I'm not gonna put up with bullshit and I think <laughs> like that's one of the things that I think is the most Chicana about me um and sometimes it's difficult but I think it also is a testimony to like the Chicanas that I have met and the Chicanas that have influenced me and the other women of color that have also influenced me so yeah I think those two things Love it. No, that's great. That that's that's great stuff. All right, we're gonna get to the really fun part that I think was probably uh stressing y'all out because it's a really hard thing to do. How do you pick your five favorite? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna do this like 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 if like if we were picking teams, um, and I won't participate. This is this is y'all, these are y'all's Chicana all-star teams. Um, so what we're gonna do is we are going to go in order of let's see let's go in order of first letter of first name so that would mean that diana gets the first pick followed by emily followed by isa but then we'll reverse the order for the second round so isa you're gonna get two picks in a row and then it'll go isa emily diana and then diana emily isa does that make sense and so a, a couple of there there aren't a whole lot of rules because as we know chicana identity is is transnational it is it crosses borders it crosses a lot of distinctions and so i'm not going to make any rules about how, who you can pick um the only thing is that um that the person can only be picked once right so like if isa picks somebody then that person is off the board and if you're going to pick them you have to pick somebody else um, and then we'll look we'll look at these teams and see what they look like um, I don't usually do these kinds of activities on the pod, but I feel like y'all are up for it. You up for it? All right. Y'all look like three people who prepared for this. 
<laughs> you look ready. <laughs> Emily's got notes. I see Isai, you're looking at, you're looking down at something. I feel like you're looking in a notebook. Um, all right. So there we go. All right. So the first pick belongs to Emily. Who do you take? Um, I would say Dr. Priscilla Falcon. She would definitely be on my team. All right. Diana. I will say Cali Fajardo and Sim. Oh, say that one more time. Sorry, you cut out for a second. Cali Fajardo and Sim, who wrote Sabrina and Corina. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Yep. All right. Isa. Gloria Anzaldúan. Ooh, that that that's a great pick. That is a great pick. All right, Isa, you get another pick. I'm gonna say Asada Shakur. Asada, love it. All right, back to Diana. Vicky Ruiz. All right, these are good. All right, Emily. Um, Dolores Huerta. Right, got got a heavy hitter there, right? Um, and Emily, you get another pick. Um, it would be Esmeralda Orozco. She's a teacher at MLK. Nice. Diana. Um, Judith Baca. Old school. That one that, that's a that that is a traditional one. Love it. Isa. Rita Martinez. Right. And Isa, one more. We have two more picks, but this one. Um, I'm gonna say my sister, Micaela Garcia de Benavides, Mika. Yep, I remember Mika. All right. Um, Diana. Uh I'm gonna say Marisol Hernandez, who's the lead singer for La Santa Cecilia. I love it. Got got the artist in there. All right. Emily. I'm gonna say Carla Cariño. She's an honorary one. I've heard of Carla. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then for your final pick. Oh, I thought about it. I, I'm so stuck right now. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, where we need the the Jeopardy music. Da, da, da. I know we already took Gloria Antonio, so I was. That's what yep. I was <laughs> Gloria is um, off the board. One of the gals here. I'll take either one of you. All right. Which one? You only get one pick. Oh my god. <laughs> I take that back then. I got you. <laughs> um. Uh, let's see. Uh. Oh, I don't know if she considers herself, but I would consider Rita Moreno. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely, um, definitely one who broke through that glass ceiling back in the day, you know, like respect. I My first principal, Don Manzanares, drove her somewhere, like when he was working as a teacher and he, he was a teacher and he was like driving a cab and he and she gets in and I'm like, how'd you know it was her? He's like, how would I not know? <laughs> like, and so that kind of like goes back to that history. All right. Deanna, what's that? Sorry, I said she's coming also to Denver. There you go. Oh, we'll have to let her know. Maybe she'll come and kick it, like knowing that she's on your team. Uh, Deanna, <laughs> your final pick. My final pick is for one of my 
best friends, who's a badass artist, Selena Tovar, who is in Chicago getting her master's in art therapy. Wow. Cool. Oh, I love we're picking people that are just like really tight in your community. That's dope. And Isai, your last choice. When you said I didn't have to do borders, then I chose Asada and I threw myself off. Um, <laughs> you got too excited. Oh, I want Asada right away. Yeah, I got so excited. Um, and then, like, I felt like I already had it represented with Rita and me. Right. Um, so I was going to say Nita, my mom, or my Auntie Donna, but I think I'm going to say Carla Cornejo Vicencio. Oh, okay. I don't think I've heard of her. Oh, you should read her book, The Undocumented Americans. All right. I will do that. You'll I learn things. Go ahead. Sorry, what were you saying? You'll love it, is all I was saying. It's really good. All right. Cool. Um, this is great. I love these teams. Um, I think y'all are all stars now. Of course, one might ask like what my team would involve. Um, my team would involve uh, Juana de Asbaje, uh, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. Um, just one of the more I read about her, the more just inspirational she is and the more trauma she went through, just incredible sort of story. Um, my second would be Dr. Elisa Facio, um, who I wouldn't be here without. And my third, fourth, and fifth would be you all. The type of inspiration that I feel being in the space with you and feeling like there's a community here. There's a community here that is disrupting traditional education and it's coming in showing up in ways that I wish I had, the, I had the courage to show up as when I was a teacher of your age. Um, and just what you are driving and what you are creating is so powerful to me. And I just thank you all for being here on the show with me. It's been such an honor. Um, so um, it's it's been really fun. Um, parting thoughts, anybody have anything to say before before we call it an episode? Just thank you for sharing space and for giving us the platform to share about ourselves. Um, and honestly, like teachers like you, veteranos who are doing the work um, are really inspiring. And um, I, I for, for one, learned so much and I'm so honored by all of the folks who have been doing the work and who have paved the way. So, gracias. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was beautiful sharing the space with all of you and like being able to really connect. And like, I feel like I got two hermanas now in BPS and we're all together and I would love to be more in contact with each other. But yeah, thank you, Gerardo, like for giving us space and like also like just really being like, like, I don't know how to describe the word. Like you've been a really monumental person the, since I met you and really been helpful with my guide and everything. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I know that my younger self would be so happy um, to be in space with Chicanas that are my age um, and not my elders um, or Munoz's age, which is okay, my sister's age. Um, and I know that for me, that always feels really good to have that presence and that connection. Um, Munoz, it's always a trip. Um, 
when I'm around you. And just <laughs> like all the memories just like come flooding back to me. And um, I'm always grateful for all that you've taught me and continue to teach me. Well, thank you all. And, and Issa, I'm so proud of you. Like just, we have so much history. It's just so amazing to like, look back and then Diana and Emily, like, like, and, and really all three of you just hitting this profession the way you are, um, is, is just super exciting. And I really hope that, um, that the community stays strong and that you're, you're able to even spread your, your, um, your influence to others. That's, that's really how it kind of goes. So, um, folks, thank you for tuning in. If you are interested in following our work, uh, habitually disruptive shows up on the two dope teachers, um, podcast feed at two dope teachers on all social media, hit us up. If you have show ideas, if you have feedback, um, and we appreciate you being here. Thank you.